What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. This week, we're discussing November 10th's lectionary text in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Adam Curie and I talked to Luther House of Studies' Sarah Stenson about this week's passage featuring the Sadducees, a religious group in Judea who did not believe in the resurrection. You'll hear them attempting to trap Jesus in a somewhat absurd legal question about marriage using Moses and the Torah. You'll also hear Jesus use Moses and the Torah to make a very different distinction about this age where people marry, have children, and have vocations versus that age where people have a place in the resurrection. Essentially, Jesus silences their argument by showing them what scripture has been saying the whole time. The Sadducees say, Teacher, you have spoken well in the verse right after today's passage. We also talk about how God is the God of the living and what it means that people who are clearly dead are yet alive to God. Sarah talks about how the kingdom of eternal life is breaking in on us even now rather than sometime in the future or after we die. So be sure to listen for that part of the conversation. But without further ado, here's Luke chapter 20 verses 27 through 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second and third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So to start us off this week, can you explain who the Sadducees are? Yep. So the Sadducees were the second largest religious group in Judea at the time. But what's interesting about them, given this specific text in Luke, is they did not believe in the, re- in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or even spirits. And they didn't long for a messiah the way other religious groups did at the time in other words they were actually very satisfied with their current existence and they didn't look for expect or even hope for anything beyond what they were experiencing in that moment mm-hmm. so it's interesting that 
that it's the Sadducees specifically now who are coming at Jesus again in an attempt to trap him in the law with Moses specifically. Um, and just a quick note on that. This is actually the third um, attempt in kind of a continuing um, escalation of attempts to trap Jesus in the law that happens just in this uh, Luke chapter 20. The first one is verse 1, chief priests and the scribes with the elders, and then the spies of verse 20, and now the Sadducees, the people who say there is no resurrection. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, knows that when he's replying to them. Sure. Can you kind of talk about what, what does it mean to, when you say to trap Jesus in the law? Yeah. What is that? Like what, what good are they? Like, what did, would that discredit Jesus? Would that shut him up? Would that, like, what are they actually trying to do? D, all of the above. Yeah, they're trying to discredit him, to shut him up, to say there's nothing there. Because remember, they're not looking for Messiah. They're just trying to, basically, it's not unlike what we see even in, in common discussion. Very satisfied with what we have now. We don't worry about the afterlife. We don't think there is a Messiah or god at all Mm -hmm. and and what they do which is an interesting thing i think it demonstrates they're actually not content and not satisfied that there is um no god or no afterlife they attack the one who says i am actually Mm -hmm. the messiah i'm demonstrating it i'm going around doing these things only god can do including forgiving sin so you were talking about them trying to trap God in the law. Um, is that a little bit why they bring, um, why they mention those who die childless in the beginning verses of this gospel text? Um, it's, they're kind of, let's see, they mention it um, around verses 29 through 32. Um, is that the reason? Yeah. What they're doing in those verses, the the first um, part of this text, is actually what lawyers do. And you may not know it, I actually used to be a lawyer, went to the University of Minnesota Law School. So I spent a lot of hours dealing with the kind of really ludicrous facts and hypotheticals that we see here Mm -hmm. in what the Sadducees are trying to do to Jesus. They're saying, well, there's this, and there's this, and there's this. And you know, logically, mm-hmm. this hypothetical is absolutely extreme. It is never going to happen in real life. But the reason we do that in law school, and the reason lawyers do it, even in, in arguing um, cases in trial law, is they're trying to pull, to push the logic out so far that they make the person they're interrogating say something that you can attack. Mm-hmm. because there's this concept in law called bad facts make bad case law. That's really what they're trying to do to Jesus. They're coming up with this extremely um, out there hypothetical to try to put him out on a limb so far. They'll be able to just say, nope, see how, you see everyone, how ridiculous this is, what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Does that help, Kiri? Yeah. It does. So then can you actually take it a step further then and talk about the response that Jesus gives with that um, and how, I know you touched on it a little bit, but, and I mean, maybe you can actually attack this from a lawyer perspective too in court, how to get out of that and how Jesus approaches it. Yeah. So what 
Jesus does is he kind of says, um, you know what? I'm going to identify what's really happening here, kind of at the 30,000 foot. I'm not going to address the hypothetical. Kind of like politicians will say, oh, I'm not going to answer the hypothetical because they know they'll get caught in the hypothetical. Mm -hmm. And instead, what Jesus does, he actually turns the tables on them. And what he really does is say, oh, you think you think your hypothetical is irrational and ludicrous. Wait till you hear what I have to say. And then he goes on to say this. Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore. And then he goes on, and we can talk about the next several verses shortly. But what he does in answering them is he kind of raises the stakes and say, you think that's crazy? Wait to hear this. Mm-hmm. They actually can't die anymore, which is on its face. People are thinking, what is he talking about? You can't die anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's using w- weird language, this age, that age, right. uh, which is, doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no logic necessarily to it. No, no, it doesn't make sense to us. Certainly to the Sadducees, mm-hmm. it, they were, which is kind of the point. He's turning the table on them, but now on us. Because we stumble on that every bit as much as the people in Jesus' time must have stumbled on it. But what he's getting at there, and it is that pivot in the this age and that age, and that's verses 34 and 35. Those who belong to this age marry, and those who are considered worthy a place in that age actually cannot die. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the nutshell of what he's saying in those couple of verses. So. To unpack that a little more, he is saying the vocations of this age, what Luther and, and you hear us talk about it too, identify as the old creation or the old Adam. Mm-hmm. We all have multiple vocations. Jesus happens to be picking up marriage. Mm-hmm. That's one vocation. But we have other vocations of child or sibling or um, teacher or garbage collector, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Those are all vocations of this age. Those are also in the law. Vocations are in the law, not in the gospel and promise. Because a vocation is given to us, we serve a vocation, not for our own fulfillment, but actually to pour ourselves out for the sake of those who have called us into that vocation. So your spouse or your siblings or your parents or your colleagues, whatever vocation we're talking about. But what Jesus is saying here when he makes that distinction from this age to that age is he's saying that, yes, the old creation, our vocations will kill us. They do kill us. They do. Adam's laughing because he's fairly newly married. <laughs> Would you like Both to the guys up, are. Adam? Yeah, that's true. Let's Mason, their too. This will be fun. I wish we had video right now. <laughs> oh, I'll start one. <laughs> Carrie's not married, so she thinks she's immune from this one. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's how I'm reading this. Yeah. I'm here, like, all good things on me. Well, I mean, <laughs> to, luck, to me, it, it, it lowers the stakes maybe and makes marriage a little bit easier because you're not, at that point, you're not trying to actualize yourself through marriage and you're not even saying that this marriage is what gives you life uh which 
you can say that, but it, I don't know if it, I, I mean, it doesn't take long for you to not feel that way, probably in any sort of marriage, because you're actually giving yourself to this person. Right. That's right. Now, there are a lot of jokes I could have inserted there, Adam, but yeah. I will refrain. <laughs> Give us one. <laughs> no. But you're absolutely right. If you're honest about marriage. I love my ev- wife. And like, <laughs> <laughs> we all it's love that. record. Andrea. You guys are fantastic. <laughs> but, but another vocation that springs to my mind is parenting. Yeah. Which is, Jesus just as easily could have picked that one. Mm-hmm. Um, because our hearts are with our children, mm-hmm. just like they're with our spouse. But parenting is not life-giving any more than um, being married is life-giving. Because you, you do, as you said, pour your life out for the neighbor, for your kids or for your spouse. Mm-hmm. So what Jesus is saying here is, yes, those things will kill you. They actually, they are certainly, um, they sustain you in mm-hmm. this world. And we do place our hearts, which is idolatry, by the way, in those we love, mm-hmm. our spouses and our children. But when Jesus makes that distinction from in this age to that age of the resurrection and where you cannot die, you will not die, what he's really doing there is saying, your heart, when you die physically, when, when you finally are only in the new creation, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about here shortly, then your heart will not be placed in anything or anyone except Jesus Christ. Mm. You will have no other idols. Mm. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like, cause that's something that Andrea and I talk about too, is it's like, when we die, is that it? Like, we don't know each other anymore. Like, oh, like, and that's idolatry. Like, I mean, I, I hope to know her like in the new creation, but you'll be, you, you won't. won't need to yeah, be right. sustained by someone else in the new creation. We'll, you will only actually have and need Jesus. Faith. Well, actually, it won't be faith. It'll be sight at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. I hate to be that person, but I'm going to be because it's kind of fun. Um, but hearing you say that, and I'm not a parent, but I was a horrible child, so I can relate to my parents. <laughs> empathy on my parents. Um, but to hear you saying that um, a parent caring about their child is idolatry, um, that's offensive. You know, that because parents pour their heart and their soul, and if they don't, their child could die. Or, you know, all of this numerous number of stuff. I don't know how long we want to spend on that, but could you just dive into that a little bit? Because it's like, okay, how do I stop idolizing idolizing my child or, you know, my spouse or anything like that? Right. There is a lot in that question. And right off the bat, you are absolutely correct. It is offensive to be named as an idolater as a mother because you're a good mother and you love your children, and I'm saying that's idolatry. It is. It is actually idolatry. Your heart is with your children. You ask um, most mothers, you good, good mothers, their hearts are walking around on the sidewalk right there. Mm-hmm. It's just what happens when you are actually doing what you are called to do in the vocation of being a parent, mm-hmm. a mother. But it is also idolatry. Because if you 
scratch too far beneath the surface and you know mothers will say I literally would do anything for my child period I love my child above anyone or anything in my life God included most of the time that's just what it means to be a mother now that's offensive to people who are trying to avoid the accusation of being called sinner that's why the offense is there when you recognize though that Jesus actually traps us in our sin in order to forgive us then you can actually hear what I'm saying. Like, yes, I do idolize my children, Mm -hmm. which I do. I do. Then you can hear that as, thanks be to God, Jesus came for the sick, not the well. I am an idolater. Mm -hmm. And And that's what makes you a good mother. Well, it makes me a mother. (laughs) My kids may bicker about the good part of it, but it's part of being a mother, yes. Absolutely. I I, I can put all my energy and effort into my vocation knowing that that's not the end. That's the freedom. That's literally the freedom of a Christian. You pour, this is the vocations. You pour your life out for the neighbor and you don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about is this idolatry or not? You can actually own it. Yeah, that actually is idolatry. Mm -hmm. But I am forgiven in Christ. And so the attempt to avoid the accusation of being an idolater, mm-hmm. sinner, actually is a confession of how deep the sin runs. A confession of you actually aren't hearing Christ's word of promise because you're trying to avoid being named sinner. Instead of embracing, I am a sinner, but thanks be to God, Jesus forgives me all my sin. Mm-hmm. And all means all. Mm-hmm. Does that help, Carrie? Yeah. And it's not, you don't, like, <clears throat> Carrie's question, I guess, got to, how do I get out of this? Well, yeah. you, you can't. can't. You can't. The attempt actually... to get out is an attempt to preserve yourself mm-hmm. from the accusation of sinner. The attempt to preserve yourself is idolatry of so, yourself. But once... You're still breaking the first commendment. I shall have yeah. yourself my God's I. I am it. God is it. No but other once idols. I just settle in with the fact that I care for my child, I care for my husband, I care for X, Y, and Z, that's not going to stop, thanks be to God, then I'm free to care for them, saying, Lord, do with me what you want. I'm going to go care for my neighbor, which in this case is my child. Forgive me my sin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, I think that helps a lot, and I know in future weeks we'll probably continue touching on it. So thank you. Yeah, well, I've had mothers walk out of rooms when I say this. So oh, I don't I blame them. I do em. hope we can continue I don't to talk blame about them. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it goes Sarah, you right are crazy. to the core. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, can we, can we kind of get into maybe the, what, what Christ is saying with uh, the old age and the new age? Yep. Uh, Sarah, can you kind of talk about that? Because that's a, a concept that is... It's, it's not uh, inherent in, in humans. It has to be taught or it has to give it, be given to you. Right. It's not an obvious yeah. thing, which no. is why verses 34 through 38 here at first blush appear nonsensical. Yeah. The, this age and that age and the fact that the dead are actually alive. alive. Like, what? It's yeah. all, and it's all the same thing. So I'm going to kind of move even into verses 37 and 38 Go for it. here. Um, Because it's the same idea. I think I said earlier, uh, old creation or old Adam and new creation. Um, It's the same idea here. 
that he's getting into 37 and 38, where, by the way, Jesus specifically raises Moses again to the Sadducees, who, is, who had brought Moses in to try to trick or trap Jesus on the front end. And what Jesus is getting here, and I'll read verses 37 and 38. The fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Mm-hmm. And the them, all of them, is these Old Testament people, figures, that the Sadducees, and we all now certainly know, are physically dead. Their hearts have stopped beating a long time ago. But Jesus is saying to him, to God, they're actually all alive. God is the God of the living, and these, these patriarchs are all alive. Um, what he's saying there, and this is, again, this distinction between the old creation and the new creation, and he's saying that the kingdom of God, which we talked about in last week's text, so listen to that podcast again to get a really good discussion on the kingdom of God, which is living in faith, and that faith specifically is in Christ. Christ forgives you all your sin. That that kingdom of eternal life, salvation, that kingdom actually gives us new life in Christ. Now. It's now and when we are dead in the grave. It is literally eternity breaking in on us when we hear Christ's word of promise now and have faith that that, that promise is our identity that Jesus Christ is your identity. This is the no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. That idea from Galatians with the Apostle Paul. So what Jesus is saying there is when the kingdom of God breaks in on us, even now, this is actually the, um, that age um, from verse 35 in the resurrection from the dead. You don't need vocations in that age, in the new creation, when you are a new uh, creature in faith, because you have only faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of um, further elaborating on the this age and that age distinction from a couple verses earlier to say, actually, we don't, aren't dead when we have faith in Christ, mm-hmm. even when physically our hearts aren't beating, we have eternal life and salvation. And eternity, by the way, has no beginning and no end, no time. Time is in the law as well. Mm-hmm. So when we have eternal life, this is why I'm saying it breaks in on us even now, there is no beginning, there is no end. We can actually have those moments of peace, God's kingdom breaking in on us now, when we hear Jesus Christ forgives you all your sin and the Holy Spirit functions to bring us faith in that promise. It's a, it's a present faith for the future. So yeah, it's, it's coming to us now uh, and we, we, have it, we, have, we have it in our ear now um, with the hope that in the future we'll actually see it, right? Yes, but this is also the breaking in now, which is why in 30, verse 38, the verb tenses are really important there. He is God of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Mm-hmm. So, but 
But the answer is yes. But this is God's kingdom breaking in on us now. But I don't want you to think this is only a future event, Adam. Yep. It's not. It's This is not a separation, like Gnosticism, separating the flesh from the soul, and it's some future event. And that's not what Jesus is getting at here. It's, it is the breaking in of God's kingdom, his eternal life, salvation, peace, faith, all those things here and now, bringing you God in the present tense now for you right now. Mm-hmm. So now one thing I think that's helpful for thinking about um, listening to sermons on this text or how you preach this text, because it is there is a lot of seemingly... Um, irrational or extreme statements like we've already unpacked, especially in this verses 34 through 38. So preachers now, actually, and by preacher, by the way, I do not mean only formally ordained pastors. I actually mean any baptized Christian who has the, therefore you have the authority to deliver this word of promise. You are a preacher when I say preacher. So preachers now actually get to deliver that word of promise that brings the kingdom of God and that brings that peace that surpasses all understanding, that delivers faith in Christ right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And the word specifically is that the things you're suffering, the death, the suffering, the worrying about your kids or your family or your job or the stock market or the, the lab report from the doctor, whatever it is that is killing you and filling you with anxiety in the old vocations, the old creature, Mm -hmm. those things do not have the final word over you, and they are not your identity. None of those things are your identity. Instead, preachers, baptized Christians, get to deliver the word of promise that, yes, you are suffering these things. No question about it. Yes, vocations are not life-giving, they actually are death-dealing. They suck you dry. Every vocation you have sucks you dry, not for your own benefit, but for the sake of the neighbor. But that does not have the final word over you. Jesus Christ forgiving you all your sin, delivering you the kingdom of God here and now, has the final word over you. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah Stenson for sharing her expertise about this passage of Luke. And as always, thank you to all of you for listening in to this conversation. We hope it helps you both prepare your sermons and understand the context of what's being preached. If you want to stay in the loop, give Luther House of Studies Facebook page a like, sign up for their email newsletter at their website, lutherhouseofstudy.org, and check out their library of videos on their website. Thanks again for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time on Scripture First.